Well, good morning. So, um, how about this weather? Yeah, be careful when you go outside and you look at the sky. I don't want to, you know, don't want to burn your retinas. Haven't seen that sun in a while. You know, this earlier this week, it was definitely not as sunny as it is today. And I was uh, up in up in the break room chatting with some staff members, and somebody remarked, "Oh, isn't it nice the rain let up for a little bit?" And I said, "About that, by the way." I've been here for a little over three years now, and uh, does this seem like a little more rain than usual? And they just, both these guys, these two staff members, they looked at me and kind of with pity in their eyes, a little bit of incredulity, and just said, yeah, this is normal. This is normal. I said, well, and then they proceeded to tell me all the worst experiences they've ever had with weather in the Northwest. And uh, Barb, she, she says to me, she says, the worst is the fog. And I said, what? You know, the fog. It's great. I love the fog. It's so romantic and it looks beautiful. And he said, not when it's been around for a month. <laughs> when it's been around for a month, she was talking about how she just went stir crazy. And she said, you know, told my husband, get me out of here. And I could, could understand, you know, when, when the fog's been around for a month, it can seem bleak. It can seem hopeless. It can seem really depressing. Well, this part of the story is very much like the fog. For the people of Israel and and Judah, as they are experiencing um, history as it goes by them, especially for someone who is a follower of God, it probably felt like they were in a fog. King after king who were failures, a people who seemed to reject God as if it were a national pastime. I bet if you were a follower of God, you were wondering back then, what is going on? It might have seemed bleak. It might have seemed hopeless. And for us, maybe as we're reading the story, this is a really challenging part to get through. Kings whose names are hard to pronounce and even harder to remember. Places and and, uh, battles and things like that. The the details can be overwhelming as we go through this part of the story. I want to encourage you. The sun will rise. The the fog will burn off. And for us, we will see... Why we're going through this. Why we are hearing story of story after another of king failing. And of what it means to to have hope in a time that was very bleak for the people of Israel. Last week, Pastor Mark shared about the ministry of prophets. By the way, prophets are one of the biggest scarlet threads in the Bible. Just prophets themselves, the ministry of prophets. Who would you say is the greatest prophet to have ever lived? What was that? Jesus? Yes, that's the Sunday school answer. And it would be the correct answer. Jesus is the greatest prophet who ever lived. Last, Mark, last week, Pastor Mark mentioned that Elijah was the greatest prophet. He was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. But Jesus, he takes the cake. He was the greatest prophet who ever lived. Even if you're a Muslim, you agree with me. That's, that's, a, that's a, a, a given for a Muslim, that Jesus is the greatest prophet who ever lived. And the ministry of Jesus, the way it's a scarlet thread is that the ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament foreshadowed the ministry of Jesus. The way that they spoke to the people of Israel about God's heart wanting to come back to them, the way that they were concerned for the poor, and especially the way that they were abused, ignored, and even killed. All of that foreshadowed Jesus' ministry. And they were definitely abused, ignored, shut into prisons and shunned. Time and time again, they spoke of God's love. They spoke of 
the need for the Israelites to obey God so that it would go well with them. And time and time again, they were ignored. They were shut up. They were pushed to the sides. So after enough of that, God finally let his judgment be known amongst the people of Israel. And we come to the beginning of the end for the nation of Israel. So that brings us to our passage today in 2 Kings chapter 17. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 326. 2 Kings chapter 17. You can read along with me on the screens or in your Bible. Starting at verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala and Gozan on the Habor River in the towns of the Medes. That's the end, but what follows is a summary of the sorry history of the northern kingdom. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up from out of Egypt, from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord, their God, that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. They worshipped idols, through the, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn away from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey, and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. And skipping down to verse 18. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. This is a word of the Lord. Father God, this word that was written so long ago in a place so far away, I pray this morning right now that you would make it real in our hearts, that you would help us to understand how this word is still for us. Lord, make it so by the power of your spirit we ask in your name. Amen. So this is what it comes to for the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. Remember, there are two kingdoms split. comes to exile, comes to conquest. And the, the southern kingdom, Judah, is not very far behind. And I want to retrace our steps in the story and how we got to this point. If you'll remember the beginning of the story all the way back, Adam and Eve in the garden. And they forsake God. And that is the crisis that initiates the story, the, the problem that all this other stuff is built upon, that, that Adam and Eve rejected God. And so from there, we begin to see God's plan take shape on how he is going to restore mankind to himself. And we see that in Abraham. God finds this guy, Abraham, and he, and he tells him, I'm going to make a nation of you, a great nation of you. And in your seed, the world will be blessed, a scarlet thread, a hint of Jesus to come. So from there, many, many years later, the many, many sons of Abraham are in Egypt and God rescues them from slavery. He brings them to the doorstep of the promised land. This is a part of the story that you might not know about. God does something very interesting to the people of Israel. He tells them what the blessings and the curses are going to be if they will obey him or disobey him. 
So he tells them all the things, what, what the good things that will happen to them if they obey God in, the, in, in, the, in their living in the promised land. And then he tells them all the bad things that will happen to them if they disobey him, the curses that are for them. And as they, as they are to tell it, well, so then he actually, as, what he tells them to do is he tells them to stand on two mountains. And on one mountain, they are to pro- proclaim all these blessings. And on the other mountain, they are to proclaim the curses. And they are supposed to yell these things to each other from these mountaintops. And as they tell these curses, every curse that they say after they say it, they say amen. So cursed be the man who makes an idol. Amen. And the reason why they do this, and the reason why God has them do this, is because he wants them to make to be absolutely clear on what the consequences of obedience and disobedience are. He just lays it all out for them. Okay, if you live like this, this is what's going to happen to you. If you live like this, bad things, exile, conquest, famine, horrible things. He tells them all before time. So when the prophets come along hundreds of years later, they're not coming up with new stuff. This should be no surprise to the people of Israel because all the way back, before they even went into the promised land, God told them what would happen. So the prophets are just reminding them. Then in Deuteronomy, where this is happening, after all that happens, Moses gives the people of Israel a speech. I want to read to you the speech that he gives to them. In Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verse 15, Moses says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hundreds of years later of history, What do you think the nation of Israel chose? Did they choose life or did they choose death? They chose death. They chose death. And when you think about that, for me anyway, I think how stupid. How stupid of them. They had it right before them. So clear. Life and death. And they chose death. Who would do that? At least that's how I think. And then then I remember, when have I ever made stupid choices? Oh, I've made a few. I have definitely made stupid choices. As a matter of fact, just by show of hands, has anybody ever, even just once, made a stupid decision in their life? Yeah, sure. I see a a lot of hands just really shooting into the air really fast. Some guys didn't raise their hands. I guess they're robots. Because isn't that part of human experience, right? We know that to be human means to be, to make mistakes, to be fallen, to even make stupid decisions. It's part of what it means to be human. There's no mistake that in Scripture, God refers to us as sheep. Sheep can be just, we can be just as stubborn, just as stupid as sheep. 
Now, when we talk about sheep, uh, I, I, um, I ran across an article a while ago as I was reading the news and uh, a very interesting article. It must have been a slow new day's news day. Uh, it was about an article about sheep, a herd of sheep in Turkey. And um, as I was reading, of course, oh, yeah, this is actually interesting. It's not, not so uh, bad of an idea to, to write about this. So it turns out there is a herd of sheep in Turkey moving from one place to another. And uh, as they were going along, one of the sheep in the herd just decided to hurl himself off a cliff. And as the shepherds are watching in horror, some of this guy's pals decided to follow him. And then before long, there's an avalanche of sheep just hurling themselves off this cliff. And by the, by the time it was all done, 1,500 sheep had thrown themselves off a cliff. Only 450 of them died because by the time a few of them had fallen, there was a pile of them, and it was like landing on pillows. Well, that's, that's kind of a morbid story, um, if you think about it. But the, the point I wanted to make about this is that sheep... Sheep choose death. Sheep choose death. And given the chance, given the choice, you and I choose death. Because given the choice, you and I will choose ourselves over God. We will choose ourselves over God. And when we choose something else besides God, who is life, we choose death. There is no life outside of God. There's only death. And this is the legacy that Adam and Eve have left for us. That they are the original human beings who themselves chose death. They chose something else besides God. And ever since then, the history of mankind has borne that out. And all we have to do is be students of history to know that we, as human beings, tend to choose death. What's interesting about this is that I feel like in our society, in our culture, we don't really believe this. We don't believe that we choose death. And you can tell this when you go to the movies and you hear, you know, you're watching a movie and inevitably the hero or the protagonist goes through some kind of crisis and they come to a point where they have to make a decision. And as they're struggling over what to do in this situation, some wise person who is close to them will say, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Your heart knows what you should do. And I think that's crazy. I think that's crazy. I would never listen to my heart. I think that's insane. Because what the Bible says, Jeremiah seventeen nine, it says, My heart, your heart, our hearts, are deceitful above all else. Our hearts are, are desperately sick. That's the words of Jeremiah. Our hearts are desperately sick. So that advice to, to listen to my heart, when I listen to my heart, what I hear is pride. What I hear is envy and selfishness. I don't want to listen to that. That advice, I think, is one of the reasons why we see more di- divorce than ever. Because I've heard people say, I got a divorce because I wanted to, I listened to my heart and my heart said get a divorce. Well, no wonder. Well, your heart is not going to tell you to sacrifice yourself. Your heart is not going to tell you to love the unlovable. Your heart's going to tell you, look out for number one. And the problem with this, the, the, the issue that this raises for us is, as human beings who tend to choose life, or choose death rather, if we choose death and then we run into this concern that our hearts are inclined, they are sick. 
then we can't save ourselves. We run into this issue that we can't do anything about it. No amount of discipline, no amount of self-help will cure that because we are the problem. The problem lies within ourselves. A sickness, a tendency to choose death. We'll talk about a fog, an apt metaphor for this whole situation. To be in a fog, to see no way out, bleak, oppressive, hopeless. And if that were the end of the story, if that were the end of the story for the Israelites who chose death year after year, if that were the end of the story for us who tend to do that as well, then it would be a bleak story indeed. But that's not the end of the story. As time went on, as as the prophets continued to speak their message, we remember them. And we, even though they were shunned, thrown into jail, and ignored, around this time, around the time of of Israel falling and Judah just right behind them, they begin to talk about what's next. They begin to look forward through the mists of time and to see hope. There's one prophet in particular, Isaiah. So Megan and I have been, have been reading to read. Um, he's only, he's not even three months, and, uh, but we've been reading to him. He can't understand a word we're saying. But um, we, we've heard that if you read to your child as an infant, uh, there's some brain development that goes on. It helps their, their language part of their brain. So we've been reading to him as good parents. And uh, we've been reading uh, sometimes out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Great, great resource. Um, and the, the, earlier this week, we came upon the story of Isaiah. Isaiah was alive through the fall of Israel and, and, uh, and as Judah decayed right behind it. Isaiah was a prophet. His name means God is salvation. Or as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, God to the rescue. And the author of this book summarized the book of Isaiah so well, so succinctly and so beautifully. I wanted to read it to you. The entire book, more or less, of Isaiah as a letter to the people of Israel. Listen to what he says. Tuck yourselves in. Uh, Get comfortable. The book of Isaiah, written as a letter to the people of Israel. Dear little flock... You're all wandering away from me, like sheep in an open field. You have always been running away from me, and now you're lost. You can't find your way back, but I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you, so I am sending you a shepherd to look after you and love you, to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room, but into the darkness a bright light will shine. It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His mommy will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is coming to come and rescue you, but he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace, and he won't have lots of money. He will be poor. And he will be a servant. But this king will heal the whole world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies. But he won't have big armies and he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be. But people will hate him. And they won't listen to him. 
You will be like a lamb. You will suffer and die. It's the secret rescue plan we made from before the beginning of the world. It's the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day, when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. Beautiful words. More or less the book of Isaiah. And at a time when there was no hope, we find that there is hope. We find that the scarlet thread is brighter than ever, is more red than ever, is more obvious than ever than we have ever seen in the story. And what the answer for the people of Israel that Isaiah is delivering to them, the answer is not try again. The answer is not try harder. The answer is wait for a rescuer. Wait for a rescuer. That's your hope. And as we read this, and as we see the story of the kings and the people of Israel unfold, we realize that God helps those who are helpless. God helps those who are helpless. We're used to the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in Scripture. That's a phrase that Benjamin Franklin made popular. But that's nowhere in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that God helps the helpless. And you and I are helpless. If you have ever, at any moment, shouted at someone you've loved, yelled at them, a a wife, a husband, a child, a a parent, and then afterwards felt guilty and known that, that you shouldn't have done that, then you know what it feels like to be helpless. If you've ever had an addiction, you really know what it feels like to be helpless. If you've ever hated when you know you should have loved, If you've ever been silent when you know you should have spoken. If you have ever looked, really truly looked into your heart and seen what is there and felt powerless against it. Then you know what it means to be helpless. And that is the message of Isaiah. That is the message of the Old Testament as it comes to near to its end. That we are to wait for a rescuer who is going to help the helpless. And it's those things that we deal with, the, 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 the sins of our life, the proclivity to choose death in our situations, that is what God is going to rescue us from. I, I find that a, a lot of Christians tend to think of, of their faith as, as just about the end game, just like a, like a fire insurance, right? That, that God is going to save them at the end of their life and, and they'll end up in heaven uh, to rescue them from the flames of hell. But meanwhile, their whole life is hell on earth. Until they get to heaven, they live a hell on earth. But what God tells us, what Jesus tells us, that he came so that we might experience heaven on earth. But we don't understand it that way. I mean, if, if, if rescue was only about the end game, I don't get that. It's like, it's like the Coast Guard were to fly out to someone drowning in the ocean, and they drop them a lifesaver, and they say, hey, buddy, you got your lifesaver? Now the shore's about 200 miles that way. 
Good luck, just swim on that way. But that's sometimes how we think about our faith. That, by golly, it sure is good that I'm going to get to heaven, but man, it's a tough slog until then. As if God were just kind of distant. But that's not what it means to have God as our rescuer. He rescues us moment by moment. He comes into our lives. And he deals with our choices, our our decisions to, to choose death. And he helps us in those moments. He gives us his spirit to help us to deal with us. He gives us his voice to speak to us. So what does that look like? What does that mean for us practically? Well, that's the, that's the question of a life of faith in Jesus, isn't it? How to live that out. But one of the things that has really been helpful for me is simply prayer. And I mean that, simple prayer. When those moments come up for me, moments of desperation, moments when I know that I am leaning towards death, prayer of desperation, simply, Jesus, help me. Sometimes all I need, and sometimes I need to keep saying that, Jesus, help me. And in that moment, in that decision to cry out for a rescuer, I believe God meets us. God comes down in his spirit and he meets us right where we're at and he rescues us. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I think that that is how we deal with our sin. That is how we deal with our proclivity to choose death. Not by fighting it, not by gritting and pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps, not by trying harder. If I have an anger problem, the answer isn't for me to fight my anger. The answer for me is to draw near to God. The answer for me is to cry out for a rescuer. That's what it means to be rescued, to experience heaven on earth day by day. And I have seen this happen in my life. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. I've seen it happen just this week. This week for me has been been a really busy one, uh, abnormally busy. I've had a few commitments at church, um, evening commitments that have kept me away from my family the whole day. And that's okay. That, it doesn't happen all the time. And it happened this week. And um, for Megan, you know, my week was busy, but for her, it was much more challenging. She has to work too, but on top of that, she's she deals with the bulk of housekeeping. She deals with the bulk of uh, food preparation, and she deals with the bulk of caring for our son, Reed. So this Thursday, I was sitting down at dinner with her, and I, I knew, I, I could just see that she was at the end of her rope. She was really stressed out. Um, she had a, uh, she was preparing for a leadership retreat that she was hosting at our home on Saturday. And um, I had one more commitment that evening. Pops, our young uh, ministry for young dads. And uh, I looked at her, and I said, you know, I, I am willing to to drop this commitment to help you out and of course she said no I don't want you to do that you go and I said okay I'll go but with a caveat I'll go and I'll uh, I'll spend some time there but I'm going to come back as soon as I feel like I can to help you clean up okay that's good so I left and I I'm there hanging out with the guys and um, right before I'm about to leave like I was planning on uh, I get a text from her she said don't worry everything's okay Everything's fine. Uh, don't rush home. Stay there. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I stayed, and then I came home, and uh, I got to hear how my wife's night went. It was a doozy. It was a rough night. She, she, um, 
you know, like any of us, we all have ways of dealing with stress, right? Ways of coping with stress, and some of it can be healthy and some of it cannot, but we have those coping mechanisms. And for her, one of her first ones is actually me, I'm grateful to say. I can be a calming presence to her. So she likes being around me. Yay! Uh, but that night, I wasn't there. So that's one way that she could cope that was, was not available to her. She likes being around friends, and so she was calling people to see if anybody could, could just kind of impromptu come over and hang out with her. But for some reason that night, just the, the people that she was calling weren't available. So that seemed to be out for her. And then uh, she thought, you know what? My nerves are frayed. What if I just had a glass of wine just to calm myself down? And as she thought about that, she thought, you know what? That's probably not the wisest thing to do. After a hard week, to cope in that way, maybe that's not healthy. So that was out for her. So after she considered all these different ways of dealing with her stress and realized that they were all out of the, out of the question, Reed decides to blow out his diaper. And the contents of his diaper are just everywhere. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Megan. She was just broke down. She was upset. She was lonely. She was tired, frustrated. And she's just crying her eyes out at the end of her rope. So she gives Reed a bath and she's laying him down to go to sleep in his bed. And as she does every night, she begins to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And as she's singing, the words of that song, they become a prayer for her. And as she's singing along, she gets to the part of that song. says, I am weak, but he is strong. And in that moment, God met her. And she realized she didn't need me to cope. She didn't need friends to cope. She didn't need wine to cope. She needed Jesus to rescue her. So she asked for Jesus to rescue her. And he came. And I came home to a wife that was a lot different than the wife I left. Sure, she was haggard from the night. um, But there was peace. She had gotten peace and she had gotten love from her father. And the Spirit of God met her in her situation when she was desperate, when she knew that she was choosing death. When she knew that that was her inclination, she cried out for a rescuer, and he met her. That can be your story. That can be my story. And that's what it means to cry out for a rescuer. For the people of Israel, that was their hope, to wait for the rescuer to come. And for us now, we still wait. Day by day, moment by moment, we cry out for Jesus to change us, to rescue us. And we draw near with our simple prayers Even the Jesus prayer, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the way we do it. We cry out for rescue, and he, God, our rescuer, helps the helpless. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you help the helpless, and helpless we are, Lord. We know and we have all experienced a moment when we said, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are not removed from our lives, that your message of hope, the good news of the gospel, 
the scarlet thread that leads to Jesus, Lord, means that in our lives, day by day, we have a hope, that we have a rescuer, your spirit come to deliver us from ourselves, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would make this real to us. Sometimes it can seem so simple, simple as the words of a children's song. Lord, it is profound, it is deep, and it is our life quest to understand and soak this in. Lord, today, this morning, make it real to us. We ask in your name. Amen.